and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to Alzheimer Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I know we're going to have a fabulous conversation once again on what does good care look like? What actually is quality of life when it comes to memory care? But before I introduce you to our guests, I just want to shout out to those who are new and let them know that Alzheimer Speaks Radio is about sound information, not just sound bites. We like to have real conversations with people all around the world. And maybe, just maybe, you can be our next guest because everyone is welcome here. We um, talk with people who are diagnosed with a form of dementia. We talk with families who care, all kinds of different business professionals that are serving the population as well as researchers, advocates, um, singers, songwriters, movie directors, authors, children. Everyone plays a role, and we would like to hear what yours is. What are your thoughts about dementia care? So reach out to me at radio at alzheimerspeaks.com. I'd also encourage you to go to our website because we have a ton of free educational resources Uh, on our site. So please don't forget to check that out. We also, of course, do our seminars and keynotes and training, town hall meetings, uh, movie screenings, all kinds of things. And we can assist people with their branding as well. I do want to mention a couple of events that are coming up on May 17th and also on June 10th in collaboration with Arbor Oak Senior Living and Cedar Creek Senior Living and the YMCA of Andover, Minnesota. We are going to be doing a couple of screenings of A Timeless Love, and you can get more information by reaching out to me or going to our free educational resources down to public events and find find more details there. I also want to give a shout out to Mods Awards. You still have until May 15th to get your application in. If you're an individual or an organization, it doesn't make any difference. But what have you done that's making a difference? And maybe you'll be awarded as an individual with $5,000 or an organization with $25,000. Also, Mods Ventures is uh, open for applications. This is giving seed money to brand new things. So if you've got a concept for uh, late stage uh, innovations or just general innovations, you could win up to $50,000 in seed money. Uh, Their applications are open until July 14th and they will be announcing the winners in August. You can find them at modsventures.org. And again, you can go to modsawards.org as well. And of course, I would be amiss if I didn't mention Dementia Map, our global resource directory. Uh, You can search uh, up to 150 different categories. There's a glossary of terms, a blog, a calendar of events, and so much more. So go to dementiamap.com. No information will be required from you to search. And if you want to get your information in, you can easily do that. Just reach out to me. I'd be glad to guide you through the process. We are going to hear from the Adaptive Equipment and Caregiving Corner, and we'll be right back. I love the footbar walker, and let me tell you why. It is the option for my toolbox that I've been waiting for. Let's be honest. There are some clients who, despite our best rehab efforts, just aren't able to return to performing a sit-to-stand transfer on their own. Now I can offer my caregivers an easier, safer option that doesn't involve hoisting their loved one up from a sitting position. 
I don't recommend this walker for all of my clients, but I do recommend this walker for those caregivers looking for an easier, safer option with transfers. I would also encourage other therapists to add this walker to their toolbox. It's kind of like having my own mobile parallel bars for the client to pull up on. Whether it's a family caregiver at home helping a loved one with Parkinson's or dementia, CNAs in a long-term care facility assisting their patients, or therapists adapting to client and caregiver-specific needs, we now have a very safe and effective option to offer in the Footbar Walker. Check this product out at thefootbarwalker.com. That's it for today from Adaptive Equipment and Caregiving Corner. Have a great day, and don't forget, if you can't do it, adapt it. Okay, on today's show, I'm going to be joined by Dr. Lord and Deanna Vigliata with Seni. And this is going to be the wrap up of our four part series we've done on quality of life and good care. What does that look like in memory care? Now, Dr. Lord is a geriatrician and she has over 25 years of experience as a medical director for two memory disorder clinics in Florida. Dr. Lord is a passionate advocate for support of family caregivers, and she also authored the book, Take Your Oxygen First, Preserving Your Health and Happiness While Caring for a Loved One with Alzheimer's. Now, Deanna Vigliata uh, has been with us on this series, and she has over 30 years in healthcare uh, regarding sales and sales management. She joined the Sunny team back in 2019 and quickly moved into the role of national sales manager. She truly is a visionary. And Sunny's goal is really to educate consumers, geriatricians, neurologists, uh, skilled nursing facilities, assisted living, um, home health care and memory care, and so much more about the importance of choosing a high-performing adult incontinence product in order to improve the quality of life for those living with incontinence. Sani's goal is really to shift the mindset in the United States here from adult incontinence products being viewed as just a disposable commodity to one of a high-performing incontinence product, which needs to be viewed as a critical component of quality of care throughout our healthcare systems and in our own homes as well. Well, ladies, I'm so excited to have this wrap-up conversation. I just think this has been an amazing series. But before we dive into our questions, I always like to ask everybody if they've been personally touched by dementia. And so, Deanne, I'm going to throw it to you first, and then I'll go to Dr. Lard. Yeah, uh, yes, uh, my aunt on my dad's side, and then um, as the, the older I get, unfortunately, more uh, friends, parents are being diagnosed with uh, early onset. So yes. Thank you. And Dr. Lord, how about you? Have you been touched in your own family or circle of friends? Yes, absolutely. I've had the same experience as Deanna, that uh, what was once rare is now commonplace. And, you know, being a professional in this area, that's sobering, really, uh, but very motivating too, because it it's the reason we just, we all keep going in this field because uh, there's so much need and we see it firsthand. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Well, let's get started with our questions. Um, first of all, I, you know, I wanted to ask you, uh, Dr. Lord, what you're up to these days in terms of helping patients with cognitive decline and, and working with Seni uh, to boot. Yeah, well, thanks, Lori. Oh, I I really enjoy working with Seni because the work I do with uh, for people with cognitive decline is is I think uh, what what we should have more of out there, and that is comprehensive care. So, unfortunately, sometimes the cognitive decline gets the most attention and gets the only care plan. And as important as that is, uh, there are so many other aspects of how life changes for the patient affected and their family that that's really the type of broad care that I like to do when I'm in my clinic. 
Uh, I'm doing these days some research as well, uh, looking at new versions of treatments and working with SENI to make sure that we're focused broadly. You know, some of the day-to-day things that go on for someone with dementia are completely unrelated to the cognitive impairment, but have a major impact on their quality of life. And urinary incontinence is, is one of them. Oh, it's huge. It's absolutely huge. And it's one of the most frustrating ones, I think, for care partners as well, because, you know, then it's double duty. But looking at that whole person and what are their needs um, are absolutely critical. Now, I don't know if you had a chance to, you know, listen to our previous shows, you know, that covered Artist Senior Living and 80th Street Residence, and then uh, our most recent one, Bella Groves. But I'm just wondering what your thoughts were in terms of what these communities, large and small, you know, had to say, you know, about serving their clients with dementia. Well, first of all, well done to you both. Uh, I have not seen uh, the Bella Groves yet, and I can't wait to see that. But I've seen the others. And um, what really struck me is you asked me earlier what was one of the things I was doing with SENI. And part of our work has really been to be on this this, uh, road trip talking about patient-centered care. Well, uh, I can tell they've met a lot of uh, people in that uh, bandwagon of patient-centered care. And it's not just a, you can tell for these uh, folks that you've spoken with, it's not just a, you know, a passing fancy. These are intentional people. One of your uh, guests even has that um, on their uh, sort of corporate goals is that these are people who aren't just providing residential care for people with Alzheimer's disease, they're they're providing care models that are intentional and intentionally designed with an understanding that Alzheimer's disease and any of the dementias have unique demands for the care and the care support we give people. Um, I was very impressed with with the intentionality of their leadership and, and their their care models. Um, I was very impressed that they're out there like the rest of us seeking out the quality and they're seeking out, you know, where are the quality partners that can make care that much better? Uh, And I'm really impressed with that. And then of course, the foundation of, they really seemed interested in people and, and making their care not be one size fits all but to be very focused on what does this individual need? And that may be different from what that individual needs and how can we be, as a care team uh, be, be prepared to offer that kind of um, patient-centered care to anyone who comes and wants to live in, in our environment. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting, both small and big um, organizations have the ability to do this, though not all of them out there are doing it. Um, but one of the things that I love about doing the show is just hearing the passion. I mean, you can just, mm-hmm. these aren't just statements. They're, they're not just mission statements that they've memorized, but they're really from the heart in going this, like you said, this is what this person needs. And this is how we have to deliver this service to this one. And they get excited about being able to customize that and to really meet those needs. And that's, that's pretty dang special in and of itself. Um, one of the things that we hear about with some senior communities is transitioning kind of from that social model to that healthcare model because people are having more chronic conditions. And what are your thoughts on that? Because that, that can be quite the shuffle in terms of delivering, uh, you know, care. Oh, yeah. I, I sometimes tell the story of sometimes I take my white coat off and I go and kind of secret shop at the new senior living communities in town. And if I dare ask about, well, what's the medical care going to be? You know, sometimes I'm shushed because in some of these situations, and I'm not necessarily taking anything away from people, especially on the independent side and and maybe even the assisted side, but for, for anyone working in the memory care, you know, I really especially as a geriatrician, I don't see how we separate out uh, an aged person's care uh, and living environment from having the, the medical support that our aging bodies need. You know, we're more fragile. 
Uh, if things do start to go wrong, they tend to go wrong spectacularly and quickly. And we, we have more complex decisions that need to get made about how to treat us. And so we need more time and attention of people who know us. And so the medical care is just really important to life. So I get how important the social is. And, and believe me, it is right up there, but they need to both be there. And so that's really my, I, I don't want the medical model to be a bad word anymore within the memory care units, especially. And so it's it's exciting to meet new communities that um, really big cities and suburban and 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 in different types of communities. It's wonderful to see people who are understanding that and really looking for how they can move in that direction. It's not easy. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of the care versus cure. <laughs> you know, cure was up here, care was down here, and, and care is coming up and is starting to equal out um, because people are demanding that going, I'd love a cure, but boy, I need help right now. <laughs> you know, well, yeah, you know, I'm sure you've both, I, I used to get told, in fact, I tell a famous story from my personal slash professional life. I was in a ENT surgeon's office with my young daughter at the time. She was needing ear tubes. And the woman physician said to me, oh, uh, nice to meet you. I've heard about uh, your work. And, and boy, that's got to be tough since there's nothing you can do for those people. And it just broke my heart that a fellow physician would would actually say that and uh the reality i sometimes also show a picture during my lectures uh just because there's no uh cure doesn't mean we can't care and that is a, a tricky concept though because the medical model is so focused on cure so we love deanna and i love to be out and about um, making sure people realize that uh comprehensive quality care for people includes some cure uh, and some fixes, but a ton of care. And, and that's really, you're right, um, Lori. I'm so glad uh, people are starting to look for it, expect it. I hope they demand it, uh, getting more medical models, especially in those memory care units. Yeah, well, you know, in, in part of care, and, it, and this is really being highlighted now all around the world, is mental health, you know, our emotional state of being and belonging and, and feeling like we have a place in the world is massively huge. And, you know, I don't care if you have dementia or if you have heart disease or, you know, diabetes or, you know, cancer, it doesn't make any difference. You still want to be included. You still want to know you matter. And um, that emotional health is so important. And I think for so long, you know, we, we switched and I, and I've been in healthcare for a long time. I was in the group home industry. And even though I went into real estate, I still did a lot um, with uh, assisted living and skilled nursing and memory care. And, and now I'm in here, but, you know, years ago, it really, you had your tasks to do, but it really was more relationship based. And, when people would be hired, they would be hired because of their level of care, of empathy, of compassion. And then somehow it seems like we've switched to micromanaging and know it's all about the task. And, you know, no, you can't sit down and have a conversation or be in the comfort of another human being. It's just get your well, list done. <laughs> sometimes you're actually dinged in my world. Uh, you know, some, I used to have some uh, administrators tell me, you know, you just take too long, Dr. Laird, you know, you just got to speed up. And uh, I would just smile and and do my my version of care, which was not sped up. It was comprehensive and thorough and and what it needed to be. I, you know, I mean, when we're talking about uh, caring for a whole person, it includes the mental well-being mm -hmm. and, and the emotional well-being. And there's been evidence for a long time that dementia itself progresses more when people aren't in an environment where they feel cared for. And so, you know, to your groups that have been on, I was very impressed with 
some one of them had a good example of how they had responded during COVID to the well-being of their entire staff and to the caregivers who were involved and to their residents, of course, but also the, just the whole environment. I mean, these are the kinds of places that I, I tell people to seek out where it's not just a task they're doing to earn a check mark or to meet a quality indicator. It, it's it's their it's their you know reason for being. It's their sort of it's in their DNA, so to speak, um, that they are a caring environment. And I, I think when that extends uh, to the to the talk about the medical model, when it extends to the emotional well being too, that's when you've really hit the high point. Because let's face it, as we talk about urinary incontinence, that is one of the biggest hits to the psyche and our our sort of sense of self and our dignity. I mean, that's a huge emotional hit and let alone having, you know, cognitive impairment developing along with it. Um, so facilities and, and memory care units that are going to take that on, I, I, we know they need support and we're really happy to be out and amongst trying to drum up and increase the number of people who are able to give that kind of support and understand that there are things that you can do and and products that you can use that are really change the the face of the care you give people and change the outcomes of the care you give people to really elevate. I think there's been for a long time just this sort of nihilistic, well, you know, talk about not, no cure, right? We do know that we can't always cure urinary incontinence, especially in some of our loved ones who have cognitive impairment, but the amount of care we can give them is tremendous. So that's really where Senny comes in, in my book. I I totally agree with that. And so this is a perfect segue to pull Deanna back into the conversation. I wanted you to share, you know, how did, how did you and Dr. Lord connect and how are you guys working together? Um, regarding, you know, your educational perspectives. I mean, I can feel the passion from both of you and stuff, but can you kind of outline that for us? Yeah. Uh, Thank you, uh, Lori, for the question. Absolutely. So um, myself and actually a few of my other uh, CENI teammates, we um, had known Dr. Laird in our prior worlds in the uh, radiology space. And uh, so I'm going to go back in time. I've been with CENI for about four years, but um, Right at the beginning, we had, uh, my teammates and I and, and leadership at SENI, we had seen senior living start to evolve with communities transitioning uh, more towards the healthcare medical model, if you will, with more people um, with chronic conditions. And so um, through talking with Dr. Laird and um, sharing, gee, you know, we're not clinical Um my teammates and I were not uh, professionals in, in the clinical space, um, but we felt that that was very important for us because our number one goal in America has always been to shift that mindset mm-hmm. where people we think prior uh, had really thought of urinary incontinence products as, oh, it's a disposable commodity and, and we'll buy cheap and one size fits all and um, it's not important. And we knew early on, mm, this stuff's important. This is a critical component of care for people that uh, that have incontinence. And so um, we started talking and having discussions with Dr. Laird and it's been a wonderful relationship as more and more communities have transitioned more to the medical model. And then COVID really, um, interestingly enough, you you have to look for golden nuggets with anything that that might be negative. You got to kind of find the the positive. And that really shined the light on the negative social implications for people that, um, you know, was socially isolated. And so even for communities that are on more of the social model, um, we wanted to scream, scream out from the beginning, um, hey, prior to COVID, people that have urinary incontinence might stay in their apartments, might stay in their homes, might be afraid to go out and enjoy all the wonderful activities and dining and uh, shopping with friends and so forth because of uh, worry 
of an embarrassing situation from happening. So it's really twofold. So we work with Dr. Laird in um, from an educational perspective of that's always been with Seni education first product second, so to speak. Um, and so we've uh, just really enjoyed the relationship, whether it's been podcast. Um, she actually gives us some suggestions. Uh, we created a, a SENI selection tool, which addresses, okay, what do you need to look at when choosing a product? And uh, we've got the acronym SENI for let's look at sizing. Let's look at essentials. Let's look at night versus day. Um, Let's look at improving continence, which is a common ground uh, philosophy of Dr. Laird and our entire SENI team. If we can take people from some level of incontinence and evaluate, um, can we tweak it? You know, can we do things, uh, strategies? And I say we as a, as a society, physicians and anybody, uh, caregivers, anybody involved in their care, can we take them from one level and, and raise them up so they are less incontinent, um, those types of things. So um, we just connect very, very well. And um, we're just thrilled to be working with her. And uh, and it's just a nice relationship. And we learn from her just um, different stories of, um, you know, c- common ground, right? As she's caring for people with cognitive b- decline at the, you know, umbrella level, we feel very comfortable. We can ask her a question and, and get a quick answer. And uh, so it's a very, um, very mutually respected, positive um, friendship as well uh, for, for myself and our teammates. That's so nice to to hear. I mean, it's it's wonderful when you like the people that you work with and you collaborate with, and you know you're on the you're on the same page. You've got the the same end goal there, um, Doctor Laird. From your clinical perspective, how would you define you know good care in in memory care? What does that look like to you as a clinician? Yeah, so that's a good. That's a good question, Lori, because I like how you asked that, you know, good care and memory care. So you're, you're on the, you're on board with me about a medical um, program and a social program in memory care. And, and I think, you know, the first thing I'd probably say three things are important. Number one is, do you, as a professional care team, if I'm thinking about helping a facility, think about how to better care for their people on their, in their community? Do you know someone's overall goals for their care? Uh, and and these are individuals facing a chronic illness. And so it's, it can be very important to understand what someone's overall goals of care are and to be able to, to try to live up to that. Um, but you got to know it first. And very few um, care teams really try to work with their patients and families. And what I mean by that is, you know, do you want to um, help someone remain, you know, physically active? Or are they someone who's got so much arthritis that that's really painful? So we're going to work on instead them enjoying the people around them, but not as much maybe physical activity. Um, That's just one example, but it's a very um, individualized understanding of when someone comes to your community, you know, what does this person need for this phase of their life and this aspect of of their um, care? So that's probably number one. I think number two would be this combined medical social model. Uh, So more and more, I think there are opportunities for primary care to be available in memory care units, which is great, especially the 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 more engaged and high quality teams that that a that a community can find the better um but in addition um in my specialty work uh as a memory care specialist we're starting to do work with uh, memory care units um as a specialist um providing care to the patients in that memory care unit and that really ups the game and ups the quality of the care you can provide on your in your community Uh, when you have a medical specialist who comes, um, myself and a nurse practitioner work together with some communities um, in our area. And that really adds 
because you're helping the individual patients, but you're also helping the professional care staff and you're helping the family caregivers um, because all, working together, you can all really um, hit those care goals of what you're trying to do to help someone and do it in a really high quality way. And speaking of family caregivers, I think that's the third quality of a really good memory care unit is they they realize that in, in not every situation, but in a situation where you have an engaged and active family caregiver, embrace that, you know, bring them into, you know, care planning. You're you're there to help their loved one. I mean, that's that's really the the sort of that's that's the group that's going to be helping this individual and family caregivers. First of all, they need our support and admiration. Second of all, they need our communication. You know, third of all, they need our knowledge. You know, what do we see overnight that we need to change mother, you know, three or four times. So we need a different, you know, product for urinary incontinence care so we can let her sleep through the night. I mean, all those things, if you've got a facility that'll really work um, with their family caregivers, I think you've found one that understands this whole patient-centered care. So I think a team that's so if you're out looking for memory care, you want a good team that's going to focus on what your loved one's goals of care are. You've got people who have both a medical and social model, and you have a, a community that really wants to engage and support the family caregivers around the, the needs and the care for their loved one. You know, I, I liked when you had mentioned about knowing the individual needs. And in order to know the individual needs, you have to ask. You have to observe. Um, and, you know, sometimes you can ask, you know, the individual, but sometimes they can't communicate. And I don't know if you found this, but family doesn't always have the same goals as the person or they haven't thought about that. So to me, I think one of the important things in terms of looking at that quality of care is opening the door for them to address what are your physical goals? What are your emotional goals? What are your social goals? And if we don't ask those questions, people don't know they can give those answers. Um, I, I think of like when my mom was in the nursing home and we would, you had talked about tapping into the, the care partner and every care plan, they would say, you know, my mom needs to lose weight. You know, she was overweight. And the nutritionist would always say, you know, Lori, I know you bring her Dr. Pepper, but, you know, could you bring her a diet, Dr. Pepper? And I, you know, I'm, I'm aggressive enough where I would go, no, I'm not going to, because she knows the difference. And this gal, she would always laugh and she would say, I have to ask the question. But the problem to me with that is that not every family member is strong enough to say no and they would pull that back in terms of quality of life. And so how do you pose those questions and, and let the family know there is some freedom and some flexibility in terms of how that is answered and the quality of care trumps the, the black and white criteria there. And I, I don't think that's always done well because people don't think about it. You know, that's just the list of what I have to say normally, but they don't understand necessarily the impact on who they're asking because we don't know the rules with that. So helping us understand what can even be delivered, what is even possible, because I think so often as care partners, we think you're just doing tasks too, even though we want more than that. Um, we kind of think that's what we're hiring them for. And I don't know if you see that, you know, when you're talking with families or not, or if I'm just an odd duck, you know, who looks at things different. I think, I mean, there's a lot of dynamic that goes into being a family caregiver and having your loved one in a, a, a you know, it's their home, right? But it, it, but it's also another place, and and you very much know that you're somewhere else. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not like you feel like you're in your home when you're at your mother's you know, memory care unit, you, you kind of know you're somewhere else. Um, even as many, you know, touches as you add to the room, you've got other people that are involved. So that dynamic is really important. And I think it speaks to the fact that this leadership and, and having, you know, communities that are from the top down, this intentionality about having a memory care unit that is 
as evolved, if you will, that would understand to bring a family caregiver in to the conversations and care planning so that you can actually get to this very individualized, you know, goals of care conversation. And if if that becomes, you know, the, the, the starting point, you're going to have fewer of those conflicts where a caregiver, a family caregiver doesn't want to say the wrong thing or doesn't want to ask for something special uh, for fear of, you know, upsetting the already overworked staff or, you know, all those dynamics go into it, let alone what you were saying about, you know, family caregivers don't have the experience and the knowledge that the professional team there does. So there really is, there's some tricky waters there. And I think the more the leadership and the man, the the clinical leadership and the administrative leadership realizes and and really dedicates themselves to having a facility that's that's more focused on you know we're really here to provide a, a loving supportive caring pl- place for individuals uh not you know 50 beds mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, then i think you start getting getting to it yeah now, we've kind of touched on this, but I, I, I just want to double check. Uh, one, do you refer your clients to different communities? And if so, uh, mm-hmm. how, do you, how do you choose that? And do you share with them any specific things that they should be looking for as they go on these tours? Oh, yes. So we do. We definitely do get asked all the time. Um, I do often work with social workers uh, who are who are maybe in the field more than I am, but I'm always calling them and saying, okay, what's the list today, you know, of the top in in this particular area. And that's one of the points to understand is that um, the, you know, the local environment of facilities is an ever-changing landscape. And so I do ask you know, weekly, if necessary, to get the update on where the, you know, current best facilities are, because it's a challenge in some situations where um, even top leadership can be turning over and you can really have an influential leader uh, leave and have a big change in the quality of, of care. But mostly what we try to help people know to look for because of that is, you know, stable leadership and leadership that's respected and and creating positive experiences for people. One of the wonderful things I've I think I've enjoyed and and watched over the years is um, there's a there's a lot of challenge as family caregivers and and it a lot hasn't changed over the years. But what has changed is that more people are more willing to talk about their loved ones with Alzheimer's disease and what they're doing to help them. And so if I had brought up support groups 20 years ago, people would look at me like, what, why, why would we need that? What, you know, no, just go take care of it. Whereas now, you know, there's a lot more and the, the underground knowledge of facilities is very strong and there's a lot of word of mouth. And so communities need to understand that, but caregivers can take advantage of that. So I often will send caregivers to a couple different places in the local community that I know are likely to have the up-to-date understanding of where people are having good experiences. That's number one. But to the point of individuality, one person's experience could be very different because of a different particular need. And so I also try to encourage people to be as open and direct and honest as possible, especially from a memory care standpoint, when they're looking for a a home for their loved one, because no, no good will come of maybe hiding the fact that your loved one is, you know, a bit Houdini like and can get out of any locked or a secure space they think of, and that's why they're coming to a new facility. So you, you just want to really be um, very, as, as much as you can, be very direct and, and honest with the people you're talking to. And as you are doing that, you're listening and hearing how they respond to you. 
Um, and we teach the caregivers that some places they won't want to have a discussion about that. And that's your clue that this is a more social model than it is medical model. Other places will have some medical teams in place and some clinical talent in the in their uh, among their group to be able to provide help. So you you really want to look for that. Um, you do want to look for, like I said before, the medical model. Um, along with the social model. And in memory care in particular, I think it's reasonable to expect some individualization of the social services that are provided. Um, in you know, independent living or assisted, it's okay to have kind of group activities. In memory care, there's a, there's a little bit more of a need for some individualized um, attention. So definitely have that. And then there are some standard things that my social workers tend to take people through as far as the state state board, you know, licensure and um, notices of deficiencies and things like that, that they can go through as well. Wonderful. I, you know, when you're talking about the good experiences, I, I think back to my real estate days in terms of, and and I think this applies in this too, is just because Sally had a great experience doesn't mean you will because your needs are different, you know, and again, you're going to know your your people that you're dealing with and what their overall needs are. But sometimes we get referred by, oh, my mom went there or my aunt was in there. And it's like, well, what was their personality like? What was their needs? You know, what's your personality like? Because that's going to have a have an impact, too, as well as the person with dementia. And more these days, too. Yeah, that's very true. But more these days, too, you know, special programs like, you know, here we are with SENI. You know, there are certain communities that have embraced SENI. And, you know, I find as I learn about these communities, they tend to be the communities that have embraced this understanding that everyone with Alzheimer's disease is not the same and doesn't need the same care. They need individualized care. So if you're looking for programs, uh, in addition to asking about, you know, do they have doctors and nurses who are coming to the facility? You know, what other programs of of clinical care support do you have? You know, um, do you have other types of clinicians coming to the facility to help your residents so that they don't have to leave the facility? Um, things like that kind of uh, investment in those kinds of programs, they're telling, you know, that's telling you just like I, on one of the other discussions in this series, there was a, a, one of the administrators talking about the rationale given for investing in a a program like SENI, you know, had the dividends that it paid in, in what it could do to help people um, enjoy their loved one time with their loved one. And instead of maybe time in the restroom or time helping, you know, take care of some incontinence. And so finding program, finding facilities and communities that have gone ahead and made that kind of investment is a good signal that that's a, a intentional and a, and a well-meaning and a, and a usually pretty well-functioning community. Yeah. Well, because it's, I think a lot of times too, people, families will look at, well, what's my immediate need? Well, those probably are going to change and you don't want to go through this move again. That's going to be hard on everyone. So really looking and listening when you're hearing those things like, oh, good. (laughs) That's going to lessen the problems later. Yeah, it's really hard to not look at the dining room and the menu and the list of activities. And I sometimes, especially for the more frail people going right into a memory care, I say, you know, that isn't going to be as important as who's coming to help take care of you. How many people are there to take care of your loved one? What is the type of the clinical care support? You know, do they have a program like incontinence program with SENI? You know, are they are they working to really provide comprehensive care for your loved one? The other things are what the sort of sales brochure will show you, but the the real sort of substance of the care you really want for your loved one are these other elements. Exactly. Um, Well, thank you for that. Deanna, in wrapping up this four-part series, I'm just wondering if you can kind of summarize for people, say your continence care program, because I know you don't even like using the word incontinence. Your your goal is to really get people mobile and comfortable and and socialized and 
you know, reduce some of the, the medical issues and things. So a little bit more about, about Senny and why doing series like this is so important. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that, Lori. Um, you know, just a little bit more about um, Senny. Um, our, our full line of products are fully breathable. And what that means is when skin can breathe, the integrity of the skin should be maintained. So we, we're very reactive sometimes, unfortunately, and we spend a lot of time fixing things, right? We, we fix wounds related to urinary incontinence. If we use good products that are fully breathable right out of the gate, we shouldn't have to fix the ugly. So we're really on um, a mission to change, again, the mindset for people to think about, look at products that are fully breathable, uh, look at products like Seni products that have inner leak guards, especially with this staffing crisis that just continues in our country. A product that has inner leak guards, that helps reduce soiled garments, sheets, and skilled health. I think of um, a two-person assist with a Hoya lift, and it takes you know, 45 minutes for someone to have a shower and be cleaned up and their dignity comes into play. And I think, oh, if they had any products with the inner leak guards, a lot of that could go away. Um, that's important. Um, I can get into more details, but the construction features of the products really provide the benefit of people having reduced risk of falls because we want people sleeping undisturbed through the night. That's a whole nother arm of things. If people sleep through the night, they don't get up. If they don't get up, they don't fall. If they don't <laughs> fall, they can enjoy the activities the next day that a community has versus being at an ER with probably more often than not an ugly outcome. So we're on the preventative side. We do offer free product samples. I think that's huge. We want people to be in the right size, the right absorbency. Um, as, as you and Dr. Laird were talking about individualization, there could be folks out there that maybe have assistance during the day, even in memory care, that have a toilet assist and they might not need the 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 incontinence products that we have for severe incontinence maybe at night they need something heavier but during the day um something lighter so in in kind of wrapping up the series our products um are super high performing but that's part a as i always say you need part b and that's the education that we provide for the caregivers if people don't know how to separate the leak guards they'll work but they'll work much better with, with the education. So my teammates and I take a lot of time and um, like to educate people, uh, whether they're in communities, um, caregivers who are now working. We're so thrilled. We're working with so many large home care agencies that have vetted us as preferred providers. Years ago, people in, in home care, the agency, well, we don't, we don't do that. The, the, clients provide their own. So, well, wait a minute, let's think about this. You want to keep your clients safe in their homes, aging longer um, in their homes. And, and by having, you know, a program in place, we can help do that. Um, so all of these reasons tie back to, I think it's just people breathing and kind of moving incontinence products up to a priority to, to look at. Um, I'll just share real quickly. I come from a, a long career in radiology and true story in our country years and years and years ago, I'll date myself. We would call uh, looking at radiology films coming from and, and uh, prior to HIPAA coming from the bowels of the hospital where radiology files were just stored anywhere because they weren't important coming up the boardroom medical information became very important and so i kind of personally think of incontinence of bringing it from yeah low on the totem pole to wait a minute this stuff's important let's let's take a different view of this um platforms like yours lori are are just crucial to helping senior living evolve helping people have better care Incontinence is one small portion of it. These platforms help uh, the entire, you know, whole person approach, holistic care, uh, patient-centered, person-centered. We can 
give a lot of names to it at the end of the day. We're all individuals. We're all aging. Um, everybody um, in our country is entitled to good, high quality care. So I'm big on connecting with with people. Um, I'm very appreciative appreciative of uh, our relationship with Dr. Laird, our relationship with you, and a whole lot of other people because I know I probably I, I learn every day, every day, more and more and more. And I was sharing with you, uh, Lori, offline when I think I understand the market in in America and everything. A whole plethora of information comes in from the left and another comes in from the right. You say, oh, okay, we're you know, moving forward. But um, but I think hopefully we're we're on a good path to helping a lot of people that are incontinent and um and by serving as resources, being able to um help people just by knowing people and connecting with people and um being able to continue to share information. So we're very grateful for this series. I've just a, a shout out to James Lee with Bella Groves and Lindsay uh, with 80th Street Residence and Dina Coffey with um, artists. I mean, all wonderful, wonderful communities, wonderful leaders. Um, it, it's just, we appreciate it very much. So. Well, thank you. I adore working with you, with you both. I, I think your mission is just incredible. And I can tell you, you're making a huge difference out there. I mean, the conversation is really shifting and people are really looking at things differently. So kudos to you. In wrapping up, I want to ask our listeners to be a giver of hope, like, click and share this show. There's so many people out there that need this information that you might not even know are going through this. And we've got to make this conversation comfortable for people to grab a hold of this stuff when they need it. And hopefully before they need it, before they're in crisis, you can go to Senny's website, Senny, S-E-N-I-USA.com. Um, in our show notes, we've got uh, Deanna's email. They have a YouTube channel, Sunny USA Cares. Uh, they're on LinkedIn as TZMO-USA-Inc. That's kind of their mothership uh, for the company. And um, also on Facebook as Sunny Cares. And if you need to reach Dr. Laird, you can go through Deanna and Sunny to, to get to her so again, I want to thank you both for your time today. And I want to thank our listeners for participating in another powerful, powerful series. So thank you so much. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you. So again, I would just like to say, check out uh, Alzheimer's Speaks if you want to reach me. Uh, again, you can access our free educational tools. You can learn about Betty the Bald Chicken, or if you're looking for a, a speaker or a trainer, we also can accommodate that or we can help you with marketing. Uh, have a blessed day, everyone. You're, you're the best. Bye-bye. It's time to rethink, renew, and reimagine retirement. Hey, everybody. Jared Sebesta here, host of Retire Repurposed. Now, this podcast is about the non-financial parts of retirement, which many times can be even more challenging than the financial. We believe retirement is not the end, rather the beginning of what could be the most impactful, purposeful, and fulfilling season of a person's life. So don't retire, become repurposed. To listen now, search Retire Repurpose on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.